Hi guys, welcome to episode 10 of season four. The season has been all about how to make real food convenient. And it's been a fun season. I'm really enjoying it. Um, there will be three more episodes in this season. So I hope you stick around because I have some really fun things planned to finish out this season. <laughs> if you tried to listen in to this episode or to the last episode within the first 24 hours of when it was published, you might've realized that Michelle did a really weird thing. If you listened in about six minutes in, all of a sudden it just ended. It was a six minute episode and you probably were thinking, what the heck is with that? Like that wasn't a full episode. That's because I'm a one man band over here and I do some stupid things sometimes and there's nobody that's like got my back. So <laughs> thankfully one of you, um, over on Instagram reached out to me and said, you know, I don't know if that's what you meant to do, but I thought I'd mention, <laughs> I was like, thank you so much. No, that is not what I meant to do. So I went back and fixed it. And like a whole day later, the whole episode was there. So just thought I'd explain to you if, uh, you thought you caught it all and it was only six minutes, you might want to go back and take a look because there was lots of great stuff loaded in the last episode. And this episode is going to be very similar. Actually, I explained last time that my thought was I would do seven things you can make better yourself for episode seven and eight things you can make better yourself for episode eight. And it just seemed, you know, quaint and that would work beautifully. And then I wound up adding more content. And by the time I got to the last episode, I realized, oh, it's now episode nine. And somehow I wound up putting eight things in both episode nine and episode 10. So I'm really not sure what I was thinking, but it works because it gives you 16 ideas of things that you can be making better yourself, right? By the way, I started a new thing last episode and I'm hoping to continue this. Um, over on the blog, I am now putting up a new post with every episode. And that's a place for me to house all the information that I'm talking about and that I'm promising you. When we talk through recipes, I can put the link to the whole recipe. Or if I mention any great products, I can put the link there. So it's kind of like show notes, kind of, but it's way better because show notes are very limited and links don't always work. Um, so as long as you know the episode number and the season number, you can just simply do a search. You can go to solelyrested.com anytime. And for this one, you know, it's season four, episode 10. So you can just put S4 space E10 and everything will come up. You do need to put the space. I went back and forth. Should I put a space? Shouldn't I? Because I had to choose and I think it makes more sense to put the space. So, so again, solelyrested.com, put S4 E10 and everything we're talking about, you can have available to you right there. There's also going to be the video over on YouTube as I'm talking and the link to the audio. So wherever you're catching this, if you'd rather see it the other way, hop over there and you can do that. Of course, I said, see it the other way. And that doesn't really work if it's audio. <laughs> I think you know what I mean. Um, last episode, we were sitting in my kitchen in front of the fire. And so many of you reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, I loved it. I just watched the fire the whole time. Um, 
this week we're not there because even though it is a very dreary, rainy day, you might even hear the rain because I'm in the upstairs room and the rain is hitting on the, um, I was going to say attic, but the, the roof is what I'm going to say. Um, but it's like over 50, it's like 55 or 60 degrees. I actually don't have the thermometer in this room, um, but it's really too warm for a fire. So I'm upstairs where I have all my gear but I love a good fire. So in future episodes, if there's a nice fire, that is where we will be guys. Cause that's where I want to be. Okay. Anyway. Um, okay. I'm want to tell you at the very end, I'm going to explain something I'm really excited about because this se- season is all about real food. And since I wrote a whole book all about real food with real all natural sugar, I feel like this is really a cool thing. My publisher is giving away one book to a random listener every single episode, the rest of this season. So hang out till the end and I'll explain how you can enter. Um, is there anything else before we dive in? Oh yeah. There's one other thing I'm starting to plan the next season. So I would love your insights onto what you would like for future topics. I have a long list of topics different ones of you have reached out over the past six months or a year and said, could you do a season on the podcast on this topic? So I have a long list. I'm just curious which ones would be the most favored and most popular with you guys. Um, I'm trying to decide. I don't think it's, it's a list of <laughs> 16 items I have here on my list. Um, I'll share it over on Instagram. If you follow me there, I would love for you to like be part of the voting. Let me know if one of these season topics excites you and interests you. All right. So eight things you can make better yourself. These are all things that over the years I have been making in my kitchen and I no longer buy most of them. There might be some of them that I buy sometimes, Um, but they're so much better when they're homemade. I come back to this again and again, and I'm sure I've mentioned it this season that the great thing about making these items yourself is you can tweak them to the way your family loves them. Maybe you guys don't have picky eaters. Maybe you don't have a husband who's really finicky about certain things like I do. So maybe this doesn't matter to you, but to me, it really matters because I can really hone in until something is the way everybody in the family likes it. And that makes me happy. We are now an empty nest. So except for when the girls come home for the day or a weekend or something, it's now just Bill and I. So it's even more important that my most picky eater, which is Bill, um, I can make these things. So he likes it. Taco seasoning is the first on my list. Taco seasoning has been such a bane of my existence, our entire, entire married life, because he's very picky about anything that he calls hot. If you're watching this on YouTube, you know that I just did the finger quotes for hot because what he calls out, I would never call even slightly spicy in a million years. <laughs> he has a very sensitive palate when it comes to that. So most taco seasonings again and again, he would turn his nose up. He'd get upset when I use certain, you know, too much of this or not enough or too much of that. And it's never not enough. Um, and I would, you know, water it down more. I'd try different brands. There was finally one brand. I don't even remember now. Cause it's been years since I bought it. I don't remember which brand it was. Finally, one of them hit the spot. Okay. This is the one that I can use as long as I put a little extra water and a little less spice until I started making it myself. 
Um, I think I shared, yes, I shared this recipe actually back in episode six. So you might've already caught that. Um, I will put a link to it in, I feel like I'm always going to just say show notes, but really the best place for you to find it would be over on the blog. If you search for this episode. Um, but I also love the convenience with taco seasoning. Even if you're not making homemade version, you can do your taco meat ahead of time. And it seems like it's not a big deal, but man, on the nights when you just really want a quick dinner, it makes such a difference. If I've made it four or five days ahead, like we'll have it for a meal, I'll make it fresh and then I'll make enough. So I have leftovers and I'll just put it in a container in the fridge four or five days later. It doesn't seem like, oh, we just had that and it's already ready. I literally just quickly heat up the meat cut some um, toppings for on top, or I'll put it in some sort of a quesadilla and melt some cheese and just serve it that way, kind of like a hot pocket. But if I'm going to the effort of making the meal, I very often will make extras. So it makes another meal with zero effort. Number two of the eight things I really think you should start making yourself is kombucha. So many of you have conversations with me over on Instagram about kombucha. Whenever I mention it, I always hear from a lot of you that, you know, I really want to like it. I've really, really tried to like it, but every bottle I've ever purchased is just too vinegary. And I get you. I totally get what you're saying. In fact, as much as I love kombucha, I have never purchased a bottle that I said, oh, that's really good. Now I have, I've probably only purchased, I think three bottles ever. (laughs) So I guess, you know, I don't really have the market on this. There could be a lot of them out there that I would like, but one of them, I was like, oh, that's, that's not bad. The other two, I was repulsed. They were so vinegary. And as I started this quest of, can I make it myself? And as I learned more about it, and as I've been doing it now for seven years, I've been making my own kombucha. I learned that it's, of course, a fact. It's always going to be vinegary when you buy it at the store because the longer it sits, the more the sugar and flavoring in it is eaten by the live probiotics in it, and it's going to turn vinegary. And you're never going to be able to buy it at the store just three or four days after it was made. That's just not possible, right? Like it's going to be sitting there for a week or two, and it took a week or two to get to the store. So I, I can't imagine that I would ever buy kombucha that I would walk away going, Oh, that was really good. <clears throat> but homemade kombucha, whole different ball game. You can ferment it exactly as long as you want. You can taste it every single day, maybe even twice a day until it's the perfect amount of sugar that's left. And it's just the way you like it. And maybe you like it vinegary. If you like it vinegary, that's awesome. You can absolutely ferment it longer until it's the vinegariness that you like. But it's definitely something that is much better homemade. If you want to know more about that, go to solelyrested.com slash kombucha. I have lots of free resources. Um, and you can check out my masterclass that has you making it like a pro in no time flat. We're actually going to talk more about kombucha next episode because the next episode is focused entirely on drinks. And kombucha is one of the ones we're going to be talking about. So Number three today is pizza. We are a pizza family. 
even more so now that we're an empty nest because Bill and I, of all of us, loved pizza the most, I think, even more than all the girls. So we're kind of, we probably could eat pizza four or five days a week and be perfectly happy with that. We don't, but we could be. And for some reason, it doesn't like have the problem that a lot of people I know right away are thinking, oh, I'd be constipated if I was eating pizza five times a week. Doesn't have that impact on us. We can eat a lot of pizza. Um, but typically it's once a week. Typically it's Friday night that I'm making pizza. And we have gone through decades of buying pizza and we had our favorite pizza shops. And, you know, we could tell you the exact difference in the four different places we would order pizza and why we liked different ones with different toppings or whatever. Like we've, we've tried it all. Um, but now that I've gotten into a routine of homemade pizza, I can honestly tell you, I feel like it's easier. The time that was spent making a phone call and ordering it, you know, planning ahead that it was the call was made at the right time and deciding, well, is it going to be busy tonight? Is it going to take half an hour? Is it going to take 40 minutes? You know, and sometimes it would take 45 minutes until your pizza was ready. And you're like, darn it. I want it in 25. Like, you know, <laughs> but by the time you waited the 45 minutes and went and got it and got home, like it's later than you had wanted. And the evening is just not as you would plan. Cause we often like to play games or watch a movie while we're having pizza. So if you're making it yourself, you are totally in charge of when it's going to be ready. Right. And it's actually in a lot of ways, less effort, especially if you do a tip that I mentioned, um, back in episode four, we talked about a little bit about homemade pizza and the dough. And I mentioned, I always make a double batch because it's really easy to wrap that double batch in some saran wrap and put it in the fridge for a week. It could even be longer than a week. It could be like eight to 10 days probably. And the only problem you might find is that gas builds up if it's a sourdough starter pizza dough, which is usually what I make. And you will find sometimes that it bursts out of its wrap. That's fine. You just have to notice it and get the wrap back around it or it will dry out on you. But aside from that, it makes pizza so easy the following week to just pull that dough out of the fridge, roll it out, put your toppings on and you're ready. It takes less time than it would to decide which place are we going to order? What toppings do we want? And what time should we order it? Like it would take less time seriously to pull the dough out and make it myself. So I've really sincerely gotten to the point with pizza that I think it's easier homemade and it's so much better for you. Now there were times like early on when I started making pizza that I would have said, it doesn't taste as good. I'll admit it, but that's okay. It's better for us. And maybe it's saving us money. I really don't know. I've never done the cost analysis on that. It must be saving money though, right? It's gotta be depending on where you buy it. But our favorite pizza place that we like to go to probably costs us eight times more to buy it than to make it myself. <laughs> it's not cheap pizza. Um, but what was I saying? Oh, in the beginning, I didn't think it tasted as good, but I don't know if I've just perfected making it or if we've kind of gotten more used to it or just playing around with the sourdough. I've really gotten it. So it's very tasty. I don't, I don't know the why, but I can tell you, I actually really, really like homemade pizza. Now I still like buying it. Absolutely. Especially from our favorite shop. Um, if you're local, by the way, my favorite shop that I highly recommend is tea hop. If you live in central New Hampshire, the Tilton house of pizza is the place to get your pizza. Just saying. Um, I think that's everything I want to say about pizza. So the fourth thing, I think around four now, right? Um, elderberry 
syrup, whole different topic, but it's heavy on my mind because with the weather changing, I actually have elderberries in the freezer right now that I need to get out and get some syrup made. It's one of many things on my mental list that I really want to get done this time of year, this season. So that made it to my list of eight things today. Um, one thing to tell you about elderberry syrup. Well, first of all, the easiest way to make it yourself is to buy the dried berries. And I have a couple places that are great resources for that. I can link that in the show notes. But if you're, if you have a place to pick them yourself, um, it's a very common bush, depending on where you live in the country to grow in the, that it grows in the wild. And if you know what to look for, it's not hard to find an elderberry bush. They're not hard to pick the berries and, you know, you have a free resource if you can find it in the wild. But the tip I have for you, if you do that, it took me years to figure this out. Actually, Ruth Ann Zimmerman, my friend, um, over on Instagram. She's a great account. Go follow her if you haven't already. She's the one that shared this a year ago when I was like, oh, what a great idea. Why have I not thought of that? Okay. Those little berries are so tiny. The most time consuming thing about making elderberry syrup is picking the berries off. And for that reason, I probably wouldn't have put this on my list last year, because even though I think it's great to make it yourself, you can buy wonderful elderberry syrup. You really can. And it's literally all natural, organic, really good, made with, usually it's made with honey. That's the second benefit to making your own. You can make it with maple syrup. So good. Um, but it's, it's time consuming to make it yourself if you're picking all these little berries off the branches, right? But here's my secret. Thanks to Ruth Ann. Take those branches and put them in the freezer. Just put them on cookie trays and flash freeze them. If you want to put them in there for longer until you, which is what I did until you have time to actually do something with it, you can like put them in baggies or just leave them in the trays for a little while or whatever. Um, but if you freeze them, the berries literally drop right off the branches. I got a five gallon bucket and a, why am I having trouble deciding what this is called? A baking cooling rack not a hard name to remember, Michelle. I got a cooling rack, you know, that you cool your cookies on and set that on top of the five gallon bucket. And then I took my branch of frozen berries one at a time and just rub them across that grate that I created with my cooling rack. And they all fell off like that, like magic, like two swipes of each branch and all the berries were in the bucket, went on to the next branch. So in just a matter of minutes, I had all of these berries off the branches. Then I put them back in some freezer safe containers and put them back in the freezer, which is the state I'm at right now. I need to get them out and actually make my syrup. But that is such a time saver. Oh, actually, Ruth Ann was on the podcast too. I don't know what episode that was now. I don't have it anywhere near me, but that was a fun episode. That was really fun. We talked about um, Pennsylvania Dutch foods and how to gather the family around food in some beautiful ways and some great traditions from the Pennsylvania Dutch. So that was a really good episode. I should have looked up what number that was. Um, okay. So I'm going to walk you through elderberry syrup. So just so you know how easy this is, go to the link. In, oh my gosh. I was just going to say, go to the link in my bio. Cause whenever I'm doing stories on Instagram, you know, I'm like, go to the link in my bio and there you'll find all this that I'm not. <laughs> all right. Go to the show notes 
and I will have all these details. So don't feel like, you know, you have to scribble this down or something, but I'm going to walk you through it so you can see how easy it is. So it kind of builds up your confidence. If you have not made elderberry syrup, you need two cups of berries, four cups of water, a tablespoon of grated ginger. That might be the hardest ingredient. And believe me, it's not hard to just get some ginger, put it in your little food processor and grate it and a cinnamon stick, and then about one and a half cups of maple syrup. You could do that to taste. You can do up to two cups. You can do less. You can do like one cup. Um, and you want to, once you have all the berries off of your stems, you want to simmer all those ingredients, except for the maple syrup, keep the syrup out, but everything else simmers for like 30 minutes. Your house starts to smell wonderful because of that wonderful ginger and cinnamon in there. And as it's simmering for that 30 minutes, every once in a while, when you feel like it, go over to the stove and crush the berries with your fork, just to continually get the juices flowing in your wonderful brew that you're making. And um, after that, you want to strain your berries out after about half an hour of simmering. And then you add in your maple syrup and that's it. It's that easy. And your house smells wonderful. And if you want to can it, you can just put them in mason jars, put your canning lids on and water bath, can them for 10 minutes. Or you can store it in the fridge for at least a couple months. You don't want to go too much longer than that because of the sugar content in it. It will it can build up um, some mold on it if you let it go too long. So if you want to do a batch and keep it all winter long, you can easily hot water bath can it and then keep it in your pantry and you're good to go. What about if you're going, well, what do I do with it? Do I just take a teaspoon every day? You can, that's what a lot of people do, but you can do so many more fun things with it. It's so delicious and incorporate it in your diet every day and really enjoy it. Um, you can, I have a list here. Let's see, pour it over ice cream. That is a good choice. Add it to your tea. Of course, you know, I do that. I add it to my hot tea, but I also add it to iced tea. You could use it in any iced tea, but my favorite, oh, what is it called? I wrote it down because I wanted to get the name right. Let me look here. I know I wrote it down. I'm sure I did. I thought I did. <laughs> well, yeah, now I can't find it. I think it's called Sweet Tulsi. Okay, I'm going to have to link it in the show notes. Um, but this one particular tea is out of the world delicious if you sweeten it with elderberry syrup. Wish I knew what it was called. Okay. Um, other things that you could do with it, you can make ice cubes out of it. I love doing this. You literally make your ice cube of full of elderberry syrup. It's an elderberry syrup ice cube. And then you use that in the summertime in whatever drink you're pouring. Just put one elderberry syrup ice cube. It makes your drink extra special. It literally feels like you're treating yourself and you're giving yourself this really good for you antibiotics and really good stuff. Um, did I say antibiotics? I meant probiotics. You know what I meant. Um, you can include it in your smoothies. Just put a teaspoon, maybe a tablespoon worth of elderberry syrup in any smoothie. It would be delicious. And add it to your breakfast table. You can like pour it over your oatmeal, over your pancakes, whatever you're having for breakfast. It's good to add a little elderberry syrup. You can mix it in with your salad dressing. We're going to get to an actual salad dressing recipe later on this episode, but I can tell you it's, it's good in salad dressings. 
and just makes, you know, if you like a sweet salad dressing, which the one I'm sharing later is not, but sweet salad dressings are really good, especially on certain salads or in the summer and an elderberry base one, delicious. And we already mentioned kombucha. You can use it to flavor your kombucha. It's such a good kombucha. I think I use about one tablespoon, maybe a little more for a half gallon jar of kombucha. Oh, here it is. See, I just had to scroll down on my notes. Um, it is not Tulsi. It's Island Breeze. Island Breeze tea. Add a cup of elderberry syrup to seven cups of Island Breeze tea. It's a delicious loose leaf tea that I'll link to. And it is so good. If you use the code solely rested, you get 10% off of either your Island Breeze tea or whatever ones suit your fancy. I will leave the link in the show notes. Okay, so we're halfway through our list. Let's stop for a minute and let me tell you about our sponsor. I've been mentioning True Leaf to you the past few episodes and I've been telling you about my cover crops. So let me give you the next step of my cover crop story. Um, I had to take everything out of the garden and I thought about leaving some of the plants. I had like um, maybe two or three tomato or cherry tomato plants that looked somewhat okay still. They were bearing a few cherry tomatoes and I had a trellis of cherry tomatoes that I thought, okay, I'm going to leave those and I'm going to plant the cover crops around them. But then I realized I like for a couple of days, I had this plan. And then I started really looking and noticing that these plants really were not producing anymore because it was later in the summer. And because of my soil deficiency problems, I had problems with everything in the garden this year. And that's why I'm doing these cover crops. They are really going to um, settle out the good and the bad nutrients in my soil and really give me a much better soil next summer. So I was realizing, you know what, what if I leave these here, what am I going to get? A small bowl full of tomatoes over the next, I don't know, two weeks. That's going to be it. Like that's the most I'm going to get. And honestly, you know, at the end of the summer, the tomatoes aren't as good. They're kind of shriveled up. They're just not as, they don't ripen as quickly. So I realized, you know what? It is better for my garden for me to get these cover crops in and let them get started at working than to just get part of them in and, and deal with walking around these other plants while I'm planting the cover crops. So I convinced myself it took me like a few days and it was hard to convince myself because I'm just weird like that. <laughs> I feel like I'm wasting something if I'm, if I'm losing out on a few tomatoes, but no, Michelle, it's not wasting. It's a good thing to get these cover crops in. So I took everything out. I planted half of the area and then I gave myself these days to work through this, took the rest of the stuff out and planted the rest of the garden. And it was really easy. I was actually surprised at how quickly I was able to get these cover crops in. And it helped that it was supposed to rain both times that I planted the two halves in the garden, there was rain coming. In fact, the first time I literally finished it in the rain and was all wet. Um, but thankfully true leaves, they have amazing bags for these cover crop seeds because you're ordering a decent amount when you're getting cover crops, you need a lot of seeds They come in the larger bag. And they're this fantastic I don't know what the material is. They're inside. They're like a silver lining. They're really um, heavy material. They're not, it doesn't matter if it gets wet is what I'm trying to say, which worked out really well because I was literally planting in the rain. Um, but so it, over the course of like five or six days, I got all the cover crops in. If I hadn't have held out on those silly plants that weren't producing much, I would have gotten everything in. Probably it would have been two days. 
Um, so anyway, they're doing great. They're growing really well. The garden actually, it looks so pretty. It makes me so happy this time of year to see beautiful new growth. It's like, it's, I, I wasn't surprised. I, I am surprised. I wasn't expecting how happy I would be seeing the cover crops doing so well this time of year, because here in New England, this time of year, you don't grow things, guys. <laughs> Nothing grows, but um, these are doing really well. So the imbalance of the nutrients in my soil is going to be fixed. Um, by the way, one thing I didn't, I thought I didn't need cover crops for was because I felt, I used to think, oh, okay, well, who cares if there's a surplus of one of the three main ingredients in my soil? Like they're all good stuff. It's all good for my soil, right? But too much of what I had, too much phosphorus is a really bad thing. It can destroy, um, it can literally destroy your plants because it enables, it, it disenables, makes your plants unable to take up the rest of the nutrients in the soil. It makes the roots not function on your plants. So this summer I was using foliar spray to get nutrients into my plants. Otherwise my plants would have not produced anything this year, but the foliar spray on the leaves was getting the nutrients in because through the roots, it couldn't, they couldn't take any nutrients because the phosphorus was in such overdrive in my soil. It was destroying the roots and not enabling them to do that. So, um, so that's a little bit catch the rest of, not the whole rest of the story, but catch some more of the story in the next episode and go to solelyrested.com slash seeds to take advantage of an amazing offer from True Leaf. It's a very limited time. It's just another like two weeks, guys. So definitely head over there, check it out. It is not too late to buy cover crops, depending on where you live. If you live down South, you can still get your cover crops in. Otherwise they have amazing offers right now. They have this incredible deal on culinary herbs. It's a 10 pack. It's crazy reduced price. And you can also use my special code and take an additional $10 off. Go check it out. Solelyrested.com slash seeds. Okay. Back to our list. The fifth thing on our list is everything seasoning until a few years ago. I didn't even know what this was. And I know I'm totally uncool and totally out of it because duh, Michelle, who doesn't know what everything seasoning is? Like I knew everything seasoning bagels, like, cause everything bagels are very popular with our family but I didn't know you could just buy everything seasoning. I don't know. It's probably been like a decade. You can buy this, right? And I didn't even know it. Well, Kayla just, just saw it. It was, I think we were in Aldi's. She's like, oh, look, I know they sell this at, um, I don't know what store she said, Trader Joe's. I don't know. But I didn't know Aldi's sold. I think it was their own name, like a no-name brand of everything seasoning. It's like, what is everything seasoning? <laughs> She's like, are you serious, mom? So that was my introduction to it. We bought it from Aldi, loved it. And I don't know if it was me or Kayla that was like, surely we can make this. So we started researching what was in it. And oh my gosh, not only can you make it, but it's really good, really easy, and so much cheaper if you make it yourself. So I'm going to leave the recipe for that in the show notes and I'm going to give you a little inspiration about how you can use it in case there's anybody else out there like me that was like, what's everything seasoning? <laughs> it's so good, guys. Um, I sometimes use it on our Friday night homemade pizza. It's a really good topping on it. I love it on my favorite sandwich, which is sourdough bread 
with some shredded chicken and some avocado and some pickles. Shake on that everything seasoning on top of all of the rest. And oh my goodness, it makes for an amazing sandwich, but you don't have to use it only on that sandwich. It's good on all the sandwiches. Really, it is. Um, oh, you know how I like it that you're going to think I'm really weird? I make my own peanut butter, maple peanut butter. And on top of that, I will shake on the everything seasoning. And again, I love it on sourdough bread, on toast. It has to be toasted, but just right. Not too toasted, not too light, like just in between. That is one of my favorite afternoon snacks. Good stuff. It's good on scrambled eggs. So good. That's probably my favorite way to use everything seasoning is on scrambled eggs or omelets, any kind of eggs. If there's eggs, I want everything seasoning on it. Um, oh, garden tomatoes. I, if you're just going to just eat a slice of tomato with your meal, put on some everything seasoning and you have upped it to a new level. Roasted vegetables. It's really good. And anything you would use salt on, honestly, it's a really great seasoning to grab. Grilled chicken, baked potatoes, anything. It's all good. Good, good stuff. Okay. Um, I'm deciding, should I tell you the recipe? I'll tell you really quickly. Two tablespoons, poppy seeds, two tablespoons, sesame seeds, one tablespoon of minced garlic, a tablespoon of minced onion, two teaspoons of kosher salt. I love Redmond's use code sweet salt to get 15% off their kosher salt is the best, but that's it. It's five ingredients, guys, five ingredients. It takes you like five seconds. You mix it together. You put it in a mason jar, put a flip top lid to make it super easy. And you are golden. All right. The next one on the list is flour. I show my mill over on Instagram every once in a while. And when I do, I get so many questions, so many comments, so many people going, I really, really want a flour, a grain mill. It's an amazing thing to have. And you know what? When we first got married, Bill and I talked about this, about, oh, we'd love to have a grain mill. We researched it and we discovered that the price was way out of our reach. I mean, it was a lot of money back then. You know, I'm really, really old. So this was like forever ago. <laughs> In reality, it was, wow, we'll be married 30 years in another eight months. Wow. So it was, it was almost three decades ago, <laughs> but you know, I could be remembering wrong because the price of things, you know, has changed in the economy and the value of a dollar is so much different, but I kid you not, I think it was over a thousand dollars to, to buy the mill we had looked at. And then the cost of grain was really expensive for some reason too. Maybe we just couldn't find a good source. Cause that was in the days that the internet was a really scarce thing. And you, you really couldn't find anything on the internet cause it was brand new and <laughs> I know I'm really dating myself, but it's true. So I don't know if I, we just didn't have access to the right places and the right sources, but it was way out of our reach. But now today the mills are very affordable and I love, I have two different mills. I love them both. So what I thought I would do this episode, instead of going in and I could talk on and on about fresh flour. Instead, I thought I'd help you understand how these two different mills can make it convenient to have fresh flour. My one mill is, oh, I'm forgetting what they're actually called. The one is the harvest mill. The other one's called the classic. Okay. I have a YouTube video about this very topic, comparing the two of them. I'll link that in the show notes, but the classic basically is really convenient for making a large amount at once. If you're going to be doing a lot of baking, or you're a person who wants to grind all your flour at once and have it available all week long. The classic meal is for you. It makes fresh flour extra convenient in that way. 
The Harvest Mill is convenient in a whole different way. And it's my personal favorite. The Classic Mill is Kayla's favorite. She is my companion in the kitchen when she was living at home. She's my daughter who is the baker extraordinaire. She is the one behind at least half of the recipes in Sweet Maple. She's amazing. Um, And she loved the Classic Mill. I prefer the Harvest Mill because I love that it gives you flour on demand. I've gotten to the point that I know pretty much exactly how many, just by eyeing it, how much wheat germ, wheat berries to put in to get the right amount of flour out. And I can make exactly the amount of flour that I want for whatever it is I'm doing, whether I'm feeding my sourdough, whether I'm making my sourdough pizza, whether I'm making bread, whether I'm using it to make gravy, you know, I can make just the right amount. I have instantly, immediately fresh flour, which is so good for you. So full of nutrients. And I use it instantly. Mind you, Kayla's flour that she makes with the classic mill and she stores away in the fridge, it's still amazingly good for you and so much better than the store-bought. Even the best of the store-bought is all enriched. The nutrients are added back in. Um, But fresh flour, all the nutrients are there and they're all just created because you have just ground it. You've just crushed up the endosperm and the germ of the berry and the nutrients are instantly available to you. So Kayla's flour is not as nutritious as mine because mine was just made and is used instantly. It actually is even more nutritious. So I love it for that reason, but both of them are such great mills. They make amazing flour. They're really, they really do make fresh flour possible for everybody and convenient. So, all right, two more things on my list. Granola. I shared the recipe for granola back in episode four and I'll put it in the show notes. But let me just tell you, I love making my own granola. I really, really do because lots of reasons why. Because it's new every time. I can totally experiment, play around with what I'm putting in it and make it something different every single time if I want to. Or, you know, I do have my recipes that I've written down that I can go very specifically to make it exactly the same way each time. So it is exactly what I want. And I also love it because if you're making it yourself, you can kind of just toss in what you have. And it's a great way to use up dried fruit. If I notice if I have a bunch of dried fruit on hand, whether I've made it in my dehydrator or I've purchased it, I do both. You know, you might look at it and go, oh, that's getting a little dried up. It really needs to be used. Or you might open the jar and realize, oh, the smell isn't as vibrant as it usually is. That tells me it's getting a little older. I should be using it. So it's a great way to use that fruit, to use it in your granola. Um, It's also great to use an oatmeal in your homemade instant oatmeal, but it's just so good. I love it on yogurt is my main way. I love to eat granola, but I also really enjoy it just with cold milk instead of, you know, cereal to have some granola and milk in my bowl for breakfast. And the final thing on my list today is salad dressing. I actually have a story for you behind this. We had only lived here for a very short time. We had moved from suburbia where we were in the heart of busyness. And I actually loved it. Looking back, I I can't imagine loving it. I would go insane living in such a busy place today because my soul has really rested, gotten quiet. And I really like living rurally now. But when we first moved here, I struggled with living rurally and I struggled with mainly food was my biggest issue that I couldn't just run out, hop in the car and have five different drugstores or three different grocery stores within literally two miles. Like no matter which way I was going, I could hit a drugstore, hit a grocery store. 
could even get to the farmer's market in like three miles and I could grab whatever it was I needed. So I was doing that often. Looking back, I'm realize, I realize, oh, I thought I was so convenient, but I was wasting so much time. Like I could have been so much using my time so much better if I was more organized because I had to be more organized because I couldn't just run out and get one ingredient that I was missing. Or if I got more creative and I knew more about, I can make this myself. I don't have to go out and buy it. I can make it. Like looking back, it's just funny how, how things are different now. But um, so I was struggling with the living worldly thing. In fact, <laughs> have you ever watched Who Bought a Zoo? We Bought a Zoo? Is that what it's called? We Bought a Zoo with Matt Damon. There's a spot in the movie where he's telling the kids, look, do you really need, what is it? Is it milk? Butter? I think it's butter. Whatever it is, he's telling the kids, let's think about this, guys. Do we really, really need it? Because it is a long drive to town because they just moved to the country again. Here's my air quotes if you're not watching on YouTube. They just moved to the country. And he says, I mean, it's a half an hour round trip, guys. <laughs> and we had lived here like half an, half an hour, listen to me, half a year when we watched this. And all of us, we, we had lived here just long enough that number one, we totally understood what Matt Damon's character was saying. Like half an hour round trip is crazy to go to the grocery store. But number two, we had lived here long enough that we also knew like you need to adjust, you need to get used to it. And believe it or not, 15 minutes to the store is not a long drive. Um, so we all just cracked up at that line in the movie the first time we heard it. And we still all get a laugh from it when we rewatch it. Um, so what was my point? Okay, <laughs> back to the salad dressing. Um, we, Kayla and I were making, I think it was using it for marinade, for like marinated chicken, I think. It wasn't just for the salad because I would have just dealt with whatever salad dressing we had, but I needed Italian salad dressing. And I remember I spent a good five, 10 minutes, like with anger, scouring through the pantry five times, looking in the back hall three times, looking in this box that I kept extra foods another three times and back and forth and just stomping and mad that I couldn't believe it. I wanted to make this recipe and daggone, I was going to have to drive half an hour one way to go get this Italian dressing that I needed. It was just ridiculous. You know, <laughs> I still remember, I'm sure you could hear it in my voice. I remember the anxiety I caused myself and the, and the anger that was building up inside of me over salad dressing. Like what? Oh, it was really a hot button topic for me at the time. Like there were things about living here that I absolutely loved but that was something I was really struggling with, which maybe in the end, that's part of the reason that I became more self-sufficient with our food. And I became more interested in real food. And I became more interested in what I could make because of this very topic that got me so upset in the beginning. In the end, it was really a blessing. I really hadn't thought about that much. Okay. Um, so after 10 minutes of this, and I, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I'm laughing, but I'm also embarrassed to tell you how upset I got over the salad dressing. And Kayla's like, you know what, mom? I'm pretty sure I've seen some bloggers share recipes for Italian salad dressing. I'm pretty sure if we spent five minutes Googling this, I bet you we can make it. And that was the 
first time in my life, I'm not kidding, in my life, that there was a staple that I had always bought from the grocery store that I was told I could make. I'm like, really, Kayla? I instantly apologized to her because instantly like she brought me down to earth and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe first of all, I got so upset about this. I'm sorry. But second of all, let's start looking this up. Seriously? We can make Italian salad dressing? (laughs) I don't know. I got to laugh because otherwise I want to cry that I was so, I was a different person then (laughs) when it comes to food. Okay. So here's the ingredients that I love to make our own Italian salad dressing. One and a half cups of vegetable oil, a half a cup of apple cider vinegar, a quarter cup of water, four cloves of minced garlic, four teaspoons of sugar, three teaspoons of salt, half a teaspoon of pepper, and two teaspoons of grated, well, this recipe calls for grated Parmesan cheese. I wrote this years ago. I now would substitute nutritional yeast instead of the Parmesan cheese, but you can use Parmesan cheese too. You just combine the ingredients, you stir it well, or you can just put it right in your jar and shake it really well. That's it. That's it. The hardest part of this recipe is mincing the garlic. Seriously, that's it. Everything else you just combine, shake it up, and you have your salad dressing. And then when you go to pour it on your salad or use it for your marinades, you will have to shake it really well. It does separate, but you know what? So does any dressing like that that you buy at the store, right? Any vinaigrette-based dressing. Um, so whew, I'm feeling a little tired now from all the laughing at myself. <laughs> um, okay, so I promised you at the beginning, I would tell you about a fun giveaway. I am excited because it is the time of year that all hearts and minds turn to the favorite fall flavor known to man, and that is maple, Right? Okay. There's a lot of other good fall flavors, but maple, man, guys, it's my favorite. It is the best. So my book, Sweet Maple, is not only an instruction guide for backyard sugar makers who can learn how to tap just one tree or hundreds. It'll walk you through the steps. It'll help you understand if you have a tree that's tappable, there are actually 30 trees that you can access to make syrup and at least one of them grow in every single state in our country. So you might be able to make syrup and you didn't even know it, but that's not all that the book is about. It's also about all natural sugars and sweeteners, how our family started seeing the value in it and incorporating all natural sweeteners in our diets instead of refined sugars. It explains to you why refined sugars are things that you really want to eliminate from your diet if you can. And it's a cookbook. It's loaded with amazing maple infused recipes. Like I said, Kayla's behind at least half of them. and just really good encouragement for eating better. So that's what sweet maple is all about. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes, but you might win a copy. All you have to do, my publisher is generously giving these away for all different reasons. I'm giving them away on Instagram. I'm giving away on Facebook and I'm giving away here on the podcast. All you have to do is go over to leave a review. If you've already left a review in years past, that's fine. Leave another review. Um, And if you haven't, I would love to hear from you there. You can access the podcast on Apple, um, Apple podcast. What do I want to say? (laughs) But that's where you can leave the review. But um, for some reason, I guess I don't have, again, I'm going to 
update myself. I don't think I have the app needed to listen on Apple podcast player. So I usually listen on Spotify. So if you don't normally listen on that platform, you might not have an easy time of finding how to leave a review. And a lot, most other platforms don't have review options, which I think is sad. Hopefully they'll start adding them in. Um, but I made it super easy for you. Um, if you don't have direct access to Apple podcast, just go to solelyrested.com slash podcast, or go to the show notes for this. And there's a link to Apple podcasts. So you can just click the link and leave a review right there. You don't have to use your own app on your own phone. You can just go to this link. So every single person who leaves a review is going to have a chance to win. And every episode, starting with this one, for the rest of this season, we're going to be giving away a copy of Sweet Maple. So please go leave a review. And I hope that you win a copy of this book that hopefully will inspire you to add more natural goodness to your family's kitchen. So I think that's everything. Oh, you know, there's one other thing that I didn't tell you right up front, and I should have explained this. Um, I, on Instagram, last weekend, shared about something that I was terrified to share about because it was a huge obstacle for me to get to this point. And I'm still fearful that I'm not going to get to my goal. And I'm still fearful that I'm going to backslide. Um, but I have lost 20 pounds over the spring and summer. Now that it's fall, I have issues I'm struggling with about how I'm going to continue to exercise, how I'm going to keep eating as well as I did all summer. So <clears throat> I started to get kind of nervous that, am I going to be able to keep the weight up? Am I going to be able to reach my actual goal? And I just on a whim one day on Instagram, just put it out there. Like I just thought now or never push record, share this as a reel, do it. So I got it out there just explaining, this is what I accomplished. This is, you know, kind of what I did and I'm, I'm excited, but I'm kind of scared. And would you guys like to know more about how I did this? Well, I was shocked by your response. Like, overwhelmed. <laughs> so many, not only comments on my reel, but private messages, like you guys flooded my inbox. And I realized this was a topic that a lot of people struggle with weight loss and eating better, making sure you're exercising well. So I said, this is what I'm getting at. I'm sorry, guys. I like tell you this long story before I get to my point. What I'm getting at is I said in that reel, in the last episode on the podcast, I'm going to give you the whole behind the scenes details. I'm going to share with you what my goal was, how far I've gone, how I've reached it, what I've done, what inspired me, how I failed, et cetera. I'm going to share it all as the final episode of season four. What I never explained anywhere, and I'm sorry if you like were listening to this whole episode hoping I was going to get to that. I should have explained up front. It's going to be episode 13 of this season that we dive into this whole topic of weight loss, exercise, eating well, and losing weight. So that's episode 13. It's coming up. So next episode, we are talking all about drinks and how long ago I decided I wasn't going to drink any calories. And if that was a good choice or not, I'm going to break it down for you next episode. We're going to talk about what I love to drink now versus what I thought was good and what are good choices when it comes to our drinks. So I hope you join me for that. And until then, remember that it's not always easy living this 
life where you're trying to be a little more simple with your choices and more simple living, it's not easy, but it's a very good life. And it's absolutely worth the effort. So I hope you join me next time, guys. Go leave a review. I want you to win a copy of Sweet Maple. See you next time, guys.